You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. We're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount called Manifesto of the King, looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. We'll read it all together, and then we'll go through it. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or who, if asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do unto you, do also the same for them, for this is the law of the prophets. Let's just pray. God, we lift up to you this morning our uh, brothers and sisters in Africa and in India, and Lord, we pray for them. We pray you would strengthen them and your spirit would be drawn to them. Jesus, you said uh, on this earth we would have trouble but that you have overcome the world. You told us that because they hated you, some will hate us. And so we pray for them as they are feeling the persecution of those who hate you. We pray now you would give us understanding of what you're saying. Help us to not just hear it, but to apply it to our lives so it's useful and that it will change us. Uh, Lord, we know we can't do this on our own, but only through your spirit living inside of us can we actually be changed. So help us to have the desire and also for you to do the work we can't do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you can remember back to March 2020, anyone remember that month? That is the month when almost simultaneously everything in the world stopped. People stopped traveling, they stopped their businesses, they stopped their schools, uh, they stopped the churches, they stopped meeting together for dinner. It was like almost everyone across the world just stopped two and a half years ago. And with a loud voice, the world, shortly after they had stopped, started saying, well, what do we do now? Uh, How will we live? Who's going to save us from this invisible danger? And the world with its trillions of dollars and its uh, evolving technologies and its combined intellect, it started asking. It started asking some questions like, how long are we going to have to do this? And, and it started asking, who's going to protect us from this? And, and who's going to give us an accurate answer? But yet, it asked many people, but it did not find the answers it was looking for. No reliable answers. Then it started seeking. 
It started seeking the greatest minds that humanity could produce. It started seeking the cream of the crop of the scientists. It started uh, seeking the origin and the birth of this problem, this challenge that they were facing, and yet they could not get the right answers. Nobody could tell them. And then they went knocking. Well, they went knocking on the governments and the industries around the world and looking for new measures and, and, and new dollars and, and new policies. They went knocking, looking for a savior, somebody to save them from this problem. They went looking for somebody to open the door and give them a magic pill that would make everything good. But no door was open. And humanity, with all its intellect and technology, could not produce something to fix the problem. And so here we are, two and a half years later, and humanity is still acting and still seeking and still knocking. And now it's saying, who will save our economies from the destruction that seems to be in front of them? And, and who will uh, save our, our climate? And, and who will stop the wars? And, and who will make the crooked path straight? Who's going to save us? But still, it can't really find a reliable accurate answer. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said to a bunch of ragtag nobodies on a hill in Galilee in the middle of the known world at the time, surrounded by false religion, surrounded by scandalous politicians and priests, by violent men wreaking war across the nation and the known world. He said to them, a group who had no savings plan, uh, who had no health care plan, who had little education, who had no safety on an everyday account like we do. He said to them, ask. You got questions? You got questions to the problems you face in your life? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Well, of course, the context we know, if you were here last week, of what uh, he is telling them to ask about is to how to know to make decisions on who you should give your time to and who you shouldn't, who is uh, not willing to change and who's just using you and going to spit you out and, and who really does desire to change. But if it's something so small as that, Jesus is saying, then it would be true for the bigger th- issues. The same would be true. Ask, seek, knock. Face some quandaries in your life. Face some real scary things in your life. Ask, seek, knock, Jesus says. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's not a casual seeking, not a casual asking. With all your heart. Don't ask men for the answer because they're most likely going to mess it up. Don't ask women uh, for some psychic answer because they don't have it. Don't ask governments because that hasn't worked out too well for us. Don't ask the scientists. Don't ask the, the new technology. Don't ask the computer. Primarily, first of all, come and ask 
me, God, your Father. Can you imagine if we, Christians, uh, who say we believe in a divine God who created everything and who sustains everything, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who we, if we Christians who say we've been baptized into faith with Jesus Christ, saved from our sins, uh, not perfect, but people being changed into the image of Jesus Christ, if we who believe that Jesus is coming again someday, uh, that he's gone ahead to uh, prepare a place called heaven uh, for those who will put their faith in him, if we, can you imagine if we asked and sought and knocked on the heaven's door as much as we have sought for the answers to the problems that our nations face over the last two and a half years. Can you imagine if we, we tuned into God as much as we've been tuning into the news to find out what the next step is throughout this last two and a half years? Can you imagine if we were as dedicated to seeking God as we've been over this last two years to the other things? I think things would change. I think Jesus says right there, he says, for Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what does that really mean? Well, some people again, and you got to watch corrupt people, they'll twist God's word out of context. Some uh, popular pastors on YouTube or on the television might say, well, look, They'll just read that verse for you. Jesus says, everyone who receives, uh, asks, receives, and if whoever seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, the door will be open. So you can be rich, prosperous, healthy, easy, and have an awesome, cool life. You can have the super spouse that, that is everything your dreams are of. You can have millions of dollars. You can have that big house down the road. You can drive a Ferrari. Just ask, and God will give it to you. They'll twist it out of context. That's why you have to be smart and understand What's going on here? What is this sermon called? The Sermon on the Mount. Who is preaching it? Jesus. So he can't take a bit of it and not pay attention to the whole thing. So what have we been learning over the last three months as we've been going through it? Well, the overall context of the, the message is that Jesus is more interested in your character being changed than your comfort level. That he desires to change you into the image of himself. That's what the primary message throughout the Sermon on the Mount has been, where he says, let your prayers, let your generosity, let your fasting be done in such a way that God takes notice, not to be heard, not to be seen by humans, not to be famous. He says, focus more on building up treasures in heaven, meaning doing good works for him, then seeking, building up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear, but focus on building the kingdom of heaven on earth. Instead of criticizing everybody and looking at the little inconsistencies in their life, why don't you allow God to pull the humongous log out of your own eye and then you become useful to God in helping other people. This has been the general message we've been seeing as we're going through this. And so now in the context, we look and say that Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. So how do you ask God in such a way that he'll answer? 
Well, Mark chapter 9, there's this guy who comes to Jesus. He's in a desperate state. His son is in a horrible place. His, his son is possessed by something, a demon. And, and we might say, oh, demons don't exist. Demons do exist. They're not the answer for everything, but they do exist. And, and this demon had been causing all sorts of havoc in the child's life, and he'd been throwing himself into fires, in, in burning himself and cutting himself. And, and he's gone to the doctors, and he's gone to the, the philosophers, and he's gone to the religious priests, and nobody can do anything. And he comes to the disciples, and they can't do anything. And so he comes to Jesus. And he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if I can do, anything is possible for those who believe. And he says, help me. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. That's a man who's asking a man that he knows is the answer. He's come to Jesus and all his other options are done. And so he comes to Jesus asking for an answer. And Jesus says, I have it. Do you believe? That's the kind of asking that Jesus is looking for, asking for the impossible things, asking for the things that we know only he can do. It's a desperate asking. It's not an asking that's casual, that you ask your bank for a good mortgage rate or uh, you ask your uh, friends what's a good school you can send your kids to. It's an asking saying, I know you have the answer. Help me, God. When I first read the Bible, some of you have heard my testimony. I was a mess from a young age in my teens. I had sought out everything that the world said would fulfill me. Drink this, smoke that, get in relationships with people, sleep around, do everything, uh, wear nice clothes, travel the world, climb the, try and win medals and and do this and do that, and yet I was empty at 26. Everything had failed. Relationships failed. Career not going so well. Empty inside, this, this ever-growing hole inside of me that I just couldn't fill. And so somebody gave me a Bible, and as you know, and then I went overseas again, and I started reading it. Now, what did I have to lose? I wanted to die Kill me over there. Let me die as a hero. Is it better to live as a, a, to die as a hero than to live as a disgrace? That's who I was at 26. And then I started reading the words of Jesus. Not the weenie sort of Jesus you read about uh, or you hear about on social media or you see a little bits on TV or, or the, the white Jesus with the halo around his head. Not that Jesus that society presents, but the Jesus of the Bible who says to me, I'll take anyone, whoever you are, whatever you've done, but you have to come to me with all your heart and give me control of your life. And if you do, I will save you and I will give you a new life. And not only that, but I'll give you a life after this life that'll be far greater than the one you've had on this earth. And so I read about him and I said to God, you know, in my head, so that the other uh, soldiers didn't think I was nuts, if you're real, God, show me. I desperately want to know if you're real. And he did. And he saved me a year later, and he 
started to change me. But there was a desperation. I wasn't just coming to Jesus, one of many different options. He was the only option. So what does it mean when Jesus says, seek? How do we seek in a way that we will find? Well, people are always seeking in our culture, aren't they? Always looking for the newest, latest, greatest thing. Something that will make me happy. Oh, that didn't work, so this might. New re- this relationship doesn't work. That one might work. Those clothes grew old after six months. This one might make, these clothes might make me happy. Whatever we're looking for, everyone is always seeking for something. That's not the kind of seeking that Jesus is talking about. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, there's a woman, it says, Jesus, or it says, there's a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. If you were bleeding in the, in the first century Israel, you were looked at as unclean and, and people kept a distance from you. It says, she had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not, and nothing had helped at all. On the contrary, she had become worse. Having heard about Jesus, having, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, he will make me well. And instantly, the flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that it was healed from her affliction. I uh, once met a woman a long time ago. She was in her 50s probably at that time. And I was a new Christian. And she, she talked about how in her younger years she had gone seeking and looking. And she had gone seeking in her high school days, seeking a man who would make her happy and fulfill her. And that relationship after relationship after relationship ended and then she went seeking in the finer things of life, and she went seeking in, in drugs and in partying, and she went seeking, and none of it worked. And so she cleaned up her act, she says, and then she got an education. I can't remember what it was in. And then she climbed the ladder, and still, all the seeking, she wasn't content. She didn't have what she was looking for. And she says, there she was, having accomplished so much, and yet so empty. And she told me that then she found Jesus, and she realized he had been the thing that she had been seeking all her life. That's the kind of seeking that God is looking for. So what does it mean to knock in such a way that God will open the door? I was campaigning um, a number of years ago for a political party. You know, when you go around and you knock on the door, those things that you hate during election time uh, that you probably don't answer the door depending on what color you see on their shirt. And anyways, I did it once and I won't do it again. Um, so I, I went knocking and uh, it was like two times in a row. I just got blasted, like lambasted by the person because of the, the party that I was uh, campaigning for. How dare you, scumbag, da 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 and so I was like, whoa, I'm doing this for free? So I had my list of the houses I was supposed to go to and put down supporters, uh, unknown uh, or not supporters. So then on the door, I thought, like, I don't want to do this, but I don't want to go back. So I just started on the door just lightly. Well, it looks like they're not there. <clears throat> and so on and so to the next house, depending on what the house looked like and who I thought might be lurking inside. That's the not the kind of knocking that Jesus is talking about. Oh, Jesus. Oh, government. Oh, friends. 
just a casual knocking, trying out all the different options. Jesus is not talking about that. He told us a story. It says in a certain town, Jesus is telling a story, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in the town who kept appealing to him, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect men, Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. Then she will stop wearing me out with her perpetual requests. Then the Lord Jesus said, listen, he's talking to his disciples, listen to the words of the unjust judge. Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he continue to defer their help? I tell you, he will promptly carry out justice on their behalf. And Jesus was giving an example about how we are to be persistent in prayer. See, God is not interested in your money. He's not interested in your looks. He couldn't care a hill of beans about what kind of clothing you wear or your job. God is most interested in your amount of interest in him. The more interest you take in God, the more that excites God and the more he can do with you. That is why God takes the foolish things often of the earth to confound the wise. It's the kind of seeking, it's the kind of knocking uh, that that man in the Bible says, when Jesus says, he was like a pearl, and he traded all his other things just to get that one pearl. That's the way God desires you to go after him, that he is that one thing that has all the value, and everything else is minor in comparison. Then he says, Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts for their children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? It's a pretty neat little illustration Jesus gives. And, you know, children know their parents best, especially when they get older. Children have got a great sniffer for sniffing out hypocrisy. They'll see you at church or with your friends, and you'll be this high and mighty person. And, and then they'll see you at home flipping out and throwing cutlery at your spouse, and they'll be like, hypocrisy. Right? They're so good at it. And, and a, parent, a kid is really good at telling which parent they can go to. Right? If a, if a kid knows that one of the parents is harsh and doesn't like to be bothered and doesn't like to be asked for things, and they know the other one is, is happy to, to put a smile on their face, they're going to go to the one that they know likes to be asked for things, not the one who's crusty all the time. And we often pray with an already determined mindset of who God is and will he answer this prayer based on our idea of who we think God is. If God is an angry God, always waiting to squash us like a bug who's still ticked off about what you did last week, even though you asked for forgiveness about it, if, if that's your idea of God, that's the way you're going to pray to God. Oh, oh, God, please help me with this, but I know you're not going to do it anyway, so whatever, I'll just do it myself. That's the way the Jews viewed God, unfortunately, because there's a lot of corrupt priests at the time. And they had even put up a sign outside of the temple when Jesus was walking around that said, death to any non-Jew or Gentile who passes this point. They'd kill you for it. That's pretty mean if you put that outside of God's office door. 
by the way, if you're not of this elite group, you're going to die the minute you step past this. But when Jesus came to the earth, he came to give himself as a sacrifice to any man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, who would put their faith in him to forgive us of our sins. And then it says that the veil that was in the temple was torn, ripped in two, representing anyone has access to God. Anyone has access to God. And so, with that in mind, God is saying, and he's giving an illustration of a parent and a child, probably one of the most intimate, special relationships. Sometimes you want to smack your spouse, right? Well, women want to smack them, the men. And, and, but you, you hardly ever want to smack your child, right? You're more likely to smack, smack your spouse than your child. Because that's your flesh, right? And so Jesus uses the illustration and he says, he says imagine you go to McDonald's and, and you order a, a happy meal for your kid. Uh, and he's all happy and he's got a smile on his face. But you take the patio and put some rocks in it and say, eat. You imagine what kind of a person would do that? Or they ask for a granola bar because they don't ask for fish anymore because kids don't like fish sticks. But back then they'd ask for fish. But they asked for a granola bar now and instead you had them a rattler, a Muskoka rattler. Like what kind of a parent would do that? And so Jesus is using the example. He's saying, if even you who are evil, and let's define what evil is. Okay, because you might say, well, I'm not evil. Well, actually, evil by definition is the opposite of what God says is good. So if God says something is good and you do the opposite or whatever the opposite is, is evil. And so we do evil things. You might not be, have evil intent as some people do, but we all do evil things in God's eyes because he is the definer of what is evil. It's not, this isn't, God doesn't operate under 21st century idea of we just redefine anything we don't like as, oh, it used to be this, but now it's this. God determines what is good and what is evil. And so, so God says, I'm not like your parents. And some of you have had bad parents. Some of you have had bad fathers. Your fathers weren't there. And so you have a perception that God is like your earthly parent. And even if you had a great earthly parent, he's still a gazillion times better. He says, even if they do that, don't you think I want to give good things to those who ask with a heart that desires good things? He does. That's one thing I've learned about God over the last 15 years of following him is he's way better than any human being. He loves to give good stuff to those who come to him in faith. And then Jesus says in verse 12, therefore, whatever you want, or sorry, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this is the golden rule in the West, right? Even before I was a Christian, I'd heard of the golden rule, right? That's kind of how people that aren't Christians uh, coin it because they like it, Right? Do things to other people that you would like them to do to you. Do you know that's a concept that is only found in Christianity? You can't find it in any other culture before Christianity. That's why the world was so brutal. There's been lots of people who have kind of said similar things. There was a Jewish scholar uh, back in the 2,500 years ago named uh, Hillel. And uh, he said, do not do to thy neighbor what is hateful to yourself. So, like, don't do what you hate to your neighbor. It's a good concept, but not the same. Socrates, that famous philosopher, said, what stirs your anger when done to you by others, do not do 
to others. Again, same concept. Don't do things that tick you off uh, to other people. Aristotle said, we must bear ourselves uh, with others as we would desire them to bear themselves with us. So like put up with things with other people as you would hope they would put up with things with you. That famous Chinese teacher Confucius said, uh, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Those are all good things, but they're all negative, right? They're negative and they're neutral. They, they require you, they're essentially saying, stand still and don't do to others if they do evil to you or don't do to them what you wouldn't have done to yourself. But Jesus says, go, it's active, it's, it's active, it's an action, and do to them what you wish and hope they'll someday do to you. You see how it's different? It's not neutral. It's go and be the one to do it first. And that's why he says, this sums up the law and the prophets. All of Christianity, if you take all the rules and the commandments of God, they summarize this. Know God, that's his desire for you, to know him deeply and intimately, and love other people as yourself. This is the Christian life in an essence. If you don't do these things, then you're missing the whole point of following him. And can you imagine if we Christians stopped complaining about all the things done to us and we actually started to do the things we desired to have done to us, to our spouses, to our children, to our parents, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to each other? Wouldn't we make a difference? Wouldn't we be a radically different group? The radically different group that turned the Roman Empire upside down on its head without even lifting a sword? We would be a people that would truly shine the light of Jesus in a dark culture? Well, that is what he's calling us to do. And so for the last two and a half years, we've been very much asking and seeking and knocking on everyone else's door except God's to fix this mess. But I want to encourage you to start diverting that energy and start knocking on God's door because he's the one who can guide us. I'm going to just, uh, uh, before I close in prayer, I just want to, actually I'll pray first and then I'll tell you. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Where would we be out without your direction? We'd be stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what is true when the next minute is changing because all truth is relative according to our culture. But you tell us what is true and you tell us it's the greatest way to live. And you make it so clear. Know you, we can trust you, we can come to you. Even though you're so big, you're still interested in our lives and to love and care for other people. What a great life that is if we would just give our lives to those things. So help us, Lord, as it's easier to say those things than to often do them. I know that for myself included. Would you help us with these as we move forward in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.